But let's, let's just pause. Let's just pray that God would speak to us this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what you have given us, your word, Jesus, your spirit. We thank you for the wonderful blessings that they are. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see as we reflect on your word today. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Can I encourage you, if you've got your Bibles um, in printed form or on a, uh, on a device, Ephesians chapter 1. This is where we're um, in now in a second week of a sermon series, walking our way through the New Testament letter from Paul of Ephesians. Um, Paul, uh, not the Apostle Paul, the uh, Paul, the pastor here, got to get a bit confused between Paul and Paul, uh, kicked us off last week, didn't he? And uh, we looked at the first part of chapter one, and we'll comment on that shortly. But we're going to be looking at the second half of chapter one, starting at verse 15. So I'm just going to read this out to you, and we're going to spend a little time reflecting on this. For this reason, Paul writes, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love For all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you. Remembering you in my prayers, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Now, uh, if you were with us, you were here last week, you would have heard uh, Pastor Paul, as opposed to the Apostle Paul who wrote the original letter, Pastor Paul uh, kick off this sermon series with the first uh, 14 verses and it's just Ephesians is so full of rich language as Paul writes about how blessed we are to be in his kingdom. Uh, And so Paul, that's the Apostle Paul, is continuing on in his letter, entering into a prayer. It's almost like he's made these huge statements about our position and and, and, and Christ, and it just seems to lead into a a written prayer for uh, the people. Now, as was mentioned last week, the letter of Ephesians is different to a lot of other of Paul's letters. Much of the other letters of Paul were written to address problems, problems in the church, and they were written to specific churches such as the Galatians or the Colossians or the Philippians to address specific issues that are common to a lot of churches. 
But in Ephesians, it doesn't appear like there's any specific problems. It is just a general letter of encouragement to the church. And probably should we say that it wasn't probably just for the Ephesians. It was probably a circular letter. It would have been written and, and Paul being in prison. Think about this as we read this. Paul in prison as he writes this letter would have had it issued to go to the Ephesians and the Ephesians would have passed it on to other churches all around the area. So a general letter for the churches of Christ in that area. Now, today, um, as we look at this, this passage, Ephesians 1, 15 to 23, I'm suggesting that this is a, a sermon or a passage for, for people who pray. And what I want you to do today is I want, to think, I want you to think about who do you pray for? Who do you pray for regularly? Now, I, I'm sure for, for parents, you, you pray for your children. I'm sure for, for leaders within the church, I'm sure growth group leaders within our church, growth group leaders would pray uh, for, their, for their group. But the question I'm asking today, and I want you to frame the, 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 the sermon today in the light of who you pray for. I'm going to be, sorry, I'm going to be asking some leading questions. So, I don't know whether it helps you to write this down because writing stuff down is, is really helpful, isn't it? To help you to remember. Maybe write down some names or if you haven't got anything, you know what you can do? You can do stuff with this phone and you can actually enter data into your phone and you can actually write down names of people whom you pray for because I want you to think about that. Could be children, could be family, could be parents, could be your next door neighbours. Um, we have this wonderful group within our, our, our church called BDC or Building a Discipling Culture. There's a, there's a few here within this church here who are part of that and we talk about finding what's called people of peace, people whom we believe God has led us to that we of course would pray for and we would pray for these people regularly and pray for opportunities to be able to connect with these people. So for those who are part of BDC, those who are part of growth groups, just people who have, you've, you've just got family, you've got children, you've got neighbours, you've got work colleagues, you've got people whom you lead, write them down. Now, as we can see here, Paul is praying for the churches and in the light of what he uh, declared in the first part of chapter 1, I want to work through this passage in, in five steps that may help us to give us a, a way in which we can pray for others. The first thing is this. Verses 15 and 16. I'm going to read it again. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my, in my prayers. As Paul reflects on the Ephesians and other people that he's been leading, he thanks God for them. He gives thanks to God for these people. Now, he's possibly planted many of these churches and, and he sees great faith. He sees that God's work is continuing in these churches. He sees their love for God. He sees their love for each other. Now, this is important. We, we need encouragement because things don't always go well, do they? And it seems at this stage that the, the church in Ephesus 
is doing really well. He's encouraged. He's giving thanks for them. He sees their great faith. Things can change very quickly. As a matter of fact, about 30 years after Paul wrote this letter, the Apostle John wrote a, a, a letter that we call the, the, letter, the, the Revelation at the very end of the, of, the, um, of our Bibles, about 30 years later. And if you know, at the very first part of Revelation, um, there's about these letters to these churches. And one of the churches is Ephesus, which is what we're looking at today. And in Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through to 4, is a, basically a, a letter or a cry or a plea to the church at Ephesus. And it says this, To the angel of the church in Ephesus in verse 1 then in verse 4 it says yet I hold this against you you have forsaken the love you had at first it's it's a warning that somewhere along the line the the Ephesians saw a great work they had this great faith and and Paul was giving thanks for for what was happening amongst them 30 years later it seems that things have shifted have they not how easy it is to lose our love. Now, when we talk about the, the love or their first love, is it the love of God or is it the love of others? And I think in many respects, it's, it's hard to separate these two. If we lose our love for other people, our love for God can get pretty cold and, and vice versa, can't it? So often, they're so closely linked. And for some reason, the church at Ephesus, their love went cold and it's sad that these things happen and there's a warning that if you allow the love of God to cool if your love of God grows cool the love of others won't be far behind I don't know about you but too often I think when we pray for other people we pray God make these people better help them to love me better why can't you give me a better group of people why can't my kids be like the other kids? Or we, we pray prayers of desperation, don't you? How often, how often, when we think about praying for other people, do we give thanks for these people? And Paul is encouraging us to do that, isn't he? To give thanks for the people round about us. How often do we give thanks for the people around about us in this church? Instead, we tend to pray, God, can you make them, can you change them? Can you make them more like me? Can you give me different people? No, we wouldn't pray that, would we? No. Give me people who are easier to love. Now, it's crazy to think this way, but I, I think this becomes a challenge and also an encouragement to us as we read this, verses 15 and 16. Here's Paul. They're not, the church at Ephesus is certainly not a perfect church, but he gives thanks for them. And so here's, here's my, my first encouragement or my first challenge is this. When you pray for those in whom you serve, now that's those names you put down, could be children, neighbour, your growth group, people around about you. When you pray for those in whom you serve, do you give thanks? Some of you probably do and that's a great encouragement and Keep that going. We, we, we thank God for the people that he has given us. Give thanks to God for them. Don't, don't pray, smite them, Lord. Give thanks. I thank you for them. Now, 
Let's move to the next verse, verse 17. Paul continues and he writes, I keep asking that the Lord of our God, Jesus Christ, the the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation that you may know him better. Paul is praying for the church for wisdom. Now, who, who would like wisdom? Anybody? I've got wisdom to dispense. Who would like some wisdom? You're all saying we'd like wisdom. But you know what? Most of the time when we're looking for wisdom, we say, I want wisdom because... I've got this particular problem in my life at the moment and God, I want you to give me wisdom so that I may be able to handle that problem better. That's probably the the instant thing that we think about when we're asking for wisdom. We want wisdom to be able to solve problems and there's nothing wrong with that but I think a greater, a greater search for wisdom is in what Paul is saying here. He's saying, I'm seeking from you wisdom and revelation so that you can answer it if you like so that we may know him better now how wonderful is that to have the wisdom just to be able to solve a problem but how much better is it that we may have the wisdom and revelation of God that we may know the Lord Jesus Christ better in our own life So often we want wisdom to overcome problems or struggles. But Paul is saying, I want to know him better. Because our our knowledge, our our knowledge of God is not just theory. Um, My knowledge needs to match who God actually is. Not just to know about him. You know, I, I can know about someone I read in the paper or watch on the TV and you can know about a celebrity or a sports star or something. I can know a lot about them, a lot of detail about them. But do I really know them? like I I know my wife, like I know my my children. And there's a big difference. It's good to know facts about God. There's nothing wrong with knowing facts and doctrine and theology about God. That can be very helpful. But if we don't know him, all of that doctrine and theology is wasted. Do you agree? Have a look at Paul's writing to the Philippians. So we're staying with Paul, but he's writing a different letter But I just want you, as I read this, Philippians uh, chapter 3, verses 8 to 11, just notice the, the desire of Paul as he writes to the Philippian church. He says, What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow obtaining to the resurrection from the dead. Can, can you see this in Paul? It's just like, I, I want to know some more facts about Jesus. It's, it's not that, is it? Just knowing about him. He says, I, I want to develop my intimate relationship with Jesus. Just like a, a husband and wife would seek to know each other intimately in the same way with Christ. Praying for wisdom and revelation that we may know him. So, 
Here's my question to you again for the people that you wrote down, the people whom you pray for. My question is this. Are we praying for the people that we serve that they may know him better? Now, we, we prayed for Elijah this morning, didn't we? We prayed for baby Elijah that he may come to know Jesus as his Lord and Saviour. Not just about him, not just some facts, but to know him personally, develop this personal relationship with him. And in the same way as we pray for each other, my, my prayer is that we would all come to know the Lord Jesus Christ better in our own lives. Yes? Not just wisdom and revelation for problem-solving sake, but a deeper relationship with Jesus. Verse 18, let's continue on. Verse 18, Paul writes this, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Now, there's two parts to this, this passage. So I'm going to look at the first part. So, you know, the first part of verse 18. And it touches on last week's passage that Pastor Paul talked about, to know who we are in Christ. And to know who we are in Christ requires this, it's a supernatural revelation. It's not something that you can just, one plus one equals two. It's something that is beyond our comprehension. Because, you know, someone could walk in here today and see that there's someone standing at the front speaking from a book and it would appear for all intents and purposes that this is a lecture. So I'm drawing information out of this book and I'm imparting this information to you to use as at best fits. Now, to a certain, on a certain level, that is correct. But you know, in this, as we read God's word, relying on the, the spirit of God to do that work, it's far more than just a transfer of information. You know that, don't you? There's a supernatural thing that is happening here where God's spirit is speaking to your spirit and transformation takes place. Information, but more importantly, transformation. Look at verse, verse 18 again. It's that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened. Now, this is a supernatural thing. The eyes of our heart would be opened enlightened into what and here's the key in all of this once again it's not just information for information's sake that you can go oh i learned something today i'll put that in my pocket it is the knowledge of the can you see there the hope to which he has called you the hope now i don't know about you but i i think in the world in which we live particularly today I think one of the most important things that people could obtain would be hope, wouldn't it? We basically live in a, in a hopeless world, if, if we look at it with, with human eyes. And, and what Paul is really saying here, I'm, I'm praying that you may have the knowledge of the hope of Jesus Christ to which you've been called. Now, it doesn't mean to be, to be called to be a missionary or called to be you know, a leader here or what. The, the, the person you've called to be, to, to be a Christ one in a hopeless world, bringing hope. 
His prayer is that we would have that knowledge that would turn into not just information, but a, a hope to which we can called. We're not just occupying space here on planet Earth. We're actually called to live as Christ ones to carry hope with us. And so therefore, here's my question to you again. For the people in whom you pray for, are we praying for the people we serve that they would know the hope of their calling? Do you pray that um, for these people, Heavenly Father, give them the knowledge the understanding, a supernatural impartation that they would recognise we, we, we have this hope in a hopeless world and we're called to carry this hope. Yes? Now we move into the second part of verse 18 and it's so easy just to sort of skip over it, skip over it, verse 18 I pray that the eyes of my heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope which he has called you. Here it is. The riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. The riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Now, we kind of know about inheritance. An inheritance is, is, is what you, you get, isn't it? You get an inheritance, don't you? On a, on a human level, um, you would hope for an inheritance from, your, from your, your parents or hope for an inheritance from someone else. And we know that we've got an, an inheritance as followers of Jesus. We know that we've got heaven, we've got an eternity with Jesus in his kingdom as an inheritance, don't we? Yes, amen to that. But notice here, this passage doesn't talk about our inheritance, which is heaven, eternal life or anything, Whose inheritance is this? His. Who's, who's his? Jesus. Hang on. Um, his inheritance is us. Wow. That's a weird one, isn't it? That means we have an inheritance that is an, an eternity with Jesus, a, a glorious future, you know, all of that. But we are his inheritance. I sat, that on, I sat on that for about a day and a half this week. Wow. I've skipped over it so many times. I think about our inheritance. It's his inheritance. We are his inheritance. He's a, and, and you think about this out of all of creation. Have a look through a telescope when you can and look at you know, the, the universe and have a look at all of the wonder here, there and everywhere and of the, the billions of stars and the, the planets and the animals and this and that and yet it is out of all of that creation. We, we are his inheritance. We are the special creation that he invests in. Wow. Wow. What I'd like to do is probably sit on that for about half an hour. Time probably won't permit that, but I find that incredible. God so loves his people that he regards us as his inheritance. Now, 
This is not the only time that that's mentioned. And if we look back, particularly into the Old Testament, God spoke this about Israel. And of course, as you know, as we come into the new covenant, all of those promises then become the promises of his church. And so, for example, in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 9, we read, For the Lord's portion or inheritance, portion it was the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob, his allotted inheritance, invested into Israel, which then becomes into the new covenant, God's people. We need to see ourselves as God's treasure. Do you see yourself as that? And I think too often we don't. We don't see ourselves as God's treasure or portion or inheritance because this is purely an act of grace. And the trouble is, if we see ourselves as that outside of Christ, that's a big problem. You know, like, how awesome am I that I'm so important to God? Well, that's not the way it works, is it? Because our inheritance is not based on our worth or our contribution to all of that or our attributes or whatever. It's all got to do with Christ and what Christ has done for us and has redeemed us. And because of that, we are his treasure. So it's not like God needs me but God has chosen me. It's not about us, but it's through Christ. And, and because of Christ, I am God's inheritance. Can you agree with that? It's, once again, it's hard to get your head around it a bit, isn't it? That we would be that special. So once again, how would you pray for the people whom you pray for regularly? Here's another question. Are we praying for the people we serve that they would know inheritance? And particularly, well, not only our inheritance, so our, no, our inheritance, but also his inheritance. And it's a powerful, powerful concept. Powerful. And I come to the last one. And this is in verse 19. And Paul coming to a, a kind of a crescendo. He talks about the power and he says, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. So Paul's focusing on the, on the power of God. I don't know how much time you've spent reading through the Apostle Paul's writing in his, in his letters and he's very articulate and he's very thoughtful in his writing, but there are times when he just seems to get really passionate and wound up. Now, I let my mind go a little bit wild during the week. I hope that's okay for you people here. But I was thinking, Paul here, as he writes this letter, is in prison. Now, it's not the kind of prison where, where you get like a, a, a cafeteria and a, and a double bed and a gym and, a, and an outdoor exercise area. We're talking about basically a dungeon, probably no light, no cells, and probably Paul was in stocks. So... You know, and he, he talks about being in stocks. So quite possibly he wasn't able to use his hands as he wrote. So how does he do that? Well, he probably brings in a scribe. You know, he'd bring in somebody to come and visit him and Paul's got all of these things in his mind and he just goes, and the scribe, you know. Now I could imagine being a, a scribe of Paul. Well, once again, you're probably in pitch black, so that'd be a challenge as well. And all of those sort of challenges. And Paul would be quite thoughtful 
Here is what I am writing to you today, and I want you to tell the churches. But it just seems, if you can read and, and, and see the nuances in this passage... Paul is building to a crescendo here. He's talked about giving thanks and for wisdom and revelation and, and knowledge and inheritance. And he gets to power. And it almost seems like he gets to that on verse 19. He's incomparably great power for us who believe. And I can imagine the scribe is going, uh-oh, here he is. He's on a roll. Get ready. Here we go. And he gets on to verse 20. And here's what he goes. Just think about it. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms far above all rule and authority power and dominion and every name that is invoked not only in the present age but also in the one to come can you say that again Paul can you see that Paul is just going talk about power now here's the interesting thing Paul's talking about this power, this amazing power. Why, on the surface, it appears that he's got no power at all because he's in a dungeon tied up in stocks, in the dark. Something far beyond what the human eyes can see. Now, he could have just prayed and said, look, I just want, I just want the church in Ephesus just to know God's power. That's all I need to say. That's, that's enough. But he didn't. He prayed that we would know that power, and he's tangibly connected that power to Christ. Because what he's basically saying is the same power as the power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. That same power. I'm praying for you, the church at Ephesus. I'm praying for you, Lismore Baptist Church. I'm, I'm praying for you as, as individuals and also as a collective that you would know that power. And you know what happens is so often in the day-to-day struggles of life, we go, God, where, where's your power? I, I, don't, I don't see your power. I think the, the best place to look for God's power is the empty cross, the open tomb the risen Christ. And he's saying, he's connecting these and saying we have this same power as his resurrection. Christ seated in authority above all other authorities. And here's the interesting thing. So often we think, oh, you know, there's, there's so many forces against me. There's the, the forces from the world and there's the forces of the flesh and there's the demonic forces and all that sort of thing that's happening in our world and it all gets so much. He's saying that the power that raised Christ from the dead, seated in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion. That power is over everything that you can name over this earth. Fleshly powers, demonic powers, worldly powers. And here's a key thing to remember in all of this, that as we live in these last days and when I talk about last days I'm talking from the time Christ ascended to heaven to the time Jesus will come back we don't battle for victory we don't battle for victory we battle in victory there's a big big difference the victory's already been settled once Christ rose from the dead 
he declared victory over everything over all the rules and authorities powers and dominions that's important because then we don't have to doubt the outcome do we we know the outcome we know how this story is going to end the word says it quite clearly and therefore we don't need to fear are we going to have battles certainly we'll have battles but we battle in the victory not for the victory and we don't battle on our own we come to the last two verses verses 22 and 23 and we read and God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church which is his body that's us the fullness of him who fills everything in every way and I reckon we could spend an hour just on this passage itself it's 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 rich in in so many promises and the question i ask is do you live in that position i am in christ i am in victory i have the fullness of christ and all things are subject to god as i am subject to christ he has given me the power to live for him in all of these things so what i want you to do is as you think about these people you pray for Let's think about the way in which Paul encourages at least. Now, I'm not, we're not saying that this is the exhaustive way in which you pray for everything, but I think these are really big, broad brushstroke prayers that we can be praying for others. So my suggestion is this, as you, as you just reflect on these names that you've got you know, written down or typed down or in your head, I want to say, we say, Heavenly Father, we give thanks for these people thank you that you have given me these people I thank you for the way in which you're leading them I thank you for your faithfulness in their lives and I would pray that you would give them wisdom to know you better not just intellectually know you better, but to, to know you intimately. And, and, and for that knowledge, that you would give them that knowledge so that they would know the hope of your calling. That they would live in a hopeful position, not a hopeless position. And carry that hope as our calling into a world that is full of hopelessness. And I pray for these people as well that they would know the inheritance that they are. So not only our inheritance or their inheritance of an eternal life with you, but us as an inheritance, a treasure of God who he has invested in far and above all of creation. And they would know the greatness of God's power. That same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Is that a, is that a good start? Is that, is that helpful? I'm only just relaying what, what Paul has done in this uh, passage in Ephesians. 
But I just want to give you one final thought. We read here that Jesus has ascended to heaven, seating at the right hand of the Father. Have you ever thought, now what, what does Jesus do? Like he's, he's been up there now for 2,000 years, seating at the right hand of the Father. What, what does he do? What's he done for these last 2,000 years? I just want to just bring you to a, another passage of Paul's, by the way. Romans chapter 8, verse 34. Romans eight thirty-four. Paul writes this. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is what? Wow. He's praying for us. He's not just sitting up there twiddling his thumbs going, they'll get there sooner or later, waiting, waiting, waiting. He's, he's actively interceding, praying for us who finds that encouraging hey how, how good is that that we've got an active saviour who just hasn't done his job and going well I've done my job and I'm just going to sit and wait I'm here he's saying invested in you cheering you on interceding and praying for you and as you pray for others We'll be praying the same things that we might continue to encourage one another onward and forward in our relationship. And I think there's no better opportunity in all of that than for us to give thanks to God for what he has done through his son Jesus. That through his son Jesus, he conquered death and the power that was exhibited through him to be raised from the dead is made available to us. And so today is another reminder, another reminder of Christ's special activity. His death on the cross, the breaking of his body and the shedding of, of his blood and the encouragement that he gave to his disciples, which then was uh, continued on through his church, that when you meet together as a, as a way of encouragement, that we would spend a moment just reflecting on, on what Jesus has done, his body and his blood, broken and bled for us. And, and the good news is that he didn't remain dead. That body broken and bled out was raised victoriously from the dead and we we're invited into that same power that same revelation that same opportunity that christ has given to everyone